one death has lost. Hallelujah for the cross. What a great blessing it is for us to be part of the family of God, and that could have only happened by the cross of Calvary. Now, some of you may say, well, why did it have to be the cross? Well, it had to be the cross because it was prophesied in Scripture that Jesus would die in the very manner that he did. Um, he, Isaiah 53 and Psalm 22 tell us and remind us of the incredible agony that Jesus would go through on the cross of Calvary. And so as we think about that, there was no other way. So yes, we do indeed sing hallelujah for the cross. I remember a friend of mine in South Africa used to ask me, why do we sing about the cross and as, as if it's a glorious instrument? It's just an instrument of death. No, it's more than just, yes, lots of other people died on the cross at the hands of the Roman government, but there was only one Jesus and only one Savior who died on a cross. And when I think of the cross, that's what I think of. I don't think of anybody else. I think of the cross and I think of Jesus as synonymous for our salvation. So this morning we're going to take a look at Acts chapter 19 and it kind of revolves around the cross. If you look at the title on your note page, it says the glorious power of the gospel, or at least that's what it's supposed to say. Chloe has a different title on hers because I forgot to change it. But the title of this morning's message is the glorious power of the gospel. Now, there would be no gospel if there were no death of Christ on the cross of Calvary. That's the heart and soul of the gospel message. And this morning, we're going to continue our trek through the book of Acts. And we're going to, uh, as we find ourselves about two-thirds of the way through the book, we're, we're going to see some things that are happening in this chapter that might make us scratch our head and say, why did it happen that way? Why did God allow it to unfold in that particular way? It confuses me a little bit. Well, this text in Acts chapter 19 is a little, it's actually quite different. It's in quite contrast to our text last week. You'll remember that our text last week, there was nothing fantastic, nothing amazing really happening in the chapter. We concluded that God has called us to be faithful in service, and even when nothing uh, incredible is seen, nothing uh, that we might say, wow, what an, what an amazing thing that was, or what a great service that was, nothing incredible is, is, a, is obvious to our eyes or to our heart, you know what we do? We continue moving forward, we continue serving God, we continue pressing on. We concluded that God has called us to be faithful in our service to him. And even when nothing spectacular is observable, we press on, we move forward, we carry on for the cause of Christ. There's something important for us to learn from that. Um, as we serve, we remind ourselves that we're not serving others Doug, he said, I hope you're not disappointed because, you know, I'm just an ordinary guy, even though his name was in lights this morning. You know what? We're all just ordinary people that God has done an amazing work in and has reconciled us to himself through his son, Jesus Christ. We serve on, and you know what? We leave the results to the Lord. It's all up to him. I can tell you from experience that there's been times when I've preached a message that I thought, man, I'd knock that one out of the park. And then somebody comes up to me and says, 
Pastor, I didn't get where you were going with that one. And then there's been times when I thought, man, that was just a bomb. And not a bomb in a good way. That just was a bad one. And people come up and say, Pastor, that was amazing. Thank, God, thank, thank you for being used of God to preach that message. And I'm like, really? Okay. All right. Because um, God gets the credit. God gets the glory. It's not about the person who stands up here and preaches. It's not about the guy on the radio who preaches. It's about our Savior, Jesus Christ. It's the glorious power of the gospel message. And the gospel is all about our Savior, Jesus Christ. So can we say yes? Hallelujah for the cross. Hallelujah for the cross. Well, open your Bibles if you have not yet to Acts chapter 19. Um, and I, obviously I haven't done that yet. So Acts chapter 19, meet me there if you would in the pages of Scripture. And we're going to uh, take a look at this uh, passage of Scripture. Again, we're not going to read the whole text because... Um, we would run out of time if I took the time to read all of it. I will highlight portions as we work our way through it this morning. But Acts chapter 19 is where we are going to kind of camp out this morning. Before we start, let's ask God to bless our time together in his word. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning and we are so thankful for the privilege that we have of being part of your family. And we know, Father, that we did nothing to deserve to be part of your family. We did nothing to earn our spot in the family of God. But, Father, you called us, you saved us, you sought us out, because we certainly weren't seeking after you. Father, by your um, unmerited favor, you looked down through the corridors of time, and you entered into a loving relationship with us. In eternity past. And your Holy Spirit continues to work to bring those people that you've entered into a relationship with to yourself. And Father, we are so thankful that even if we wanted to, we could not resist you to the death. Your Holy Spirit will convict us of our sins. Your Holy Spirit will show us our need of a right relationship with you, the ineffectiveness of our own life, and getting a good place with you is, is not possible. But your Spirit draws us to yourself. We're thankful for that. Father, we're thankful that there's nothing that we can do in this life to lose our salvation. Father, we've messed up big time and days gone by, and perhaps if it was left up to a human arbitrator, they might strip us away from all of our rights, all of our privileges, and tell us we don't deserve to be part of the family anymore. But you're not that way. And you don't leave us in our sin. You work to a point to bring us back to a right relationship with you, or sometimes you take us home. But whatever the case may be, Father, we're so thankful that you are the one who saved us, and you are the one who keeps us, and we never have to worry about losing our salvation. So yes, we say hallelujah for the cross, and we say to God, be the glory. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So verses 1 through 10, um, we're looking at this text this morning, and we're seeing that Paul is in Ephesus, okay? He, he had a very effective ministry in Ephesus. He's serving the Lord here, and, and we're going to see as we work our way through the text, and I'm going to actually read these verses, verses 1 through 10, um, and we're going to see that this power of the gospel is actually discharged. It's actually it's evident as it goes forth in the lives of those who believe. So why don't you stand together with me? I will read Acts chapter 19, verses 1 through 10. 
says this, And it happened while Apollos was at Corinth that Paul, having passed through the upper regions, came to Ephesus, and finding some disciples, he said to them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? So they said to him, We have not so much as heard whether there is a Holy Spirit. And he said to them, Into what then were you baptized? So they said, Into John's baptism. Then Paul said, John indeed baptized with the baptism of repentance, saying to the people that they should believe on him whom, who would come after him, that is, on Christ Jesus. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid hands on them, the Holy Spirit came upon them, and they spoke with tongues and prophesied. Now the men were about twelve in all. And he went into the synagogue and spoke boldly for three months, reasoning and persuading concerning the things of the kingdom of God. But when some were hardened and did not believe, but spoke evil of the way before the multitude, he departed from them and withdrew the disciples, reasoning daily in the school of Tyrannus. And this continued for two years, so that all who dwelt in Asia heard the word of the Lord Jesus, both Jews and Greeks. Wow. Now, as we read through this, we want to remind you that we are standing, or right now we're standing in a Baptist church, right? And there's some things in here that we might say, why, why did that happen? Is it going to happen still today? Well, you can sit down, and we're going to talk about that this morning in our text as we work our way through the pages of Scripture this morning. As I said, in verses 1 through 10, we see the glorious power discharged. As we begin thinking about the power of the gospel, let me again remind you of the words of the Apostle Paul. How, just how powerful is the gospel? Well, I always think when I hear about the power of the gospel, I always think of Romans chapter 1. Verses 16 and 17, where Paul penned those amazing words, quoting from the Old Testament book of Habakkuk in this passage. He says this, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Why not, Paul? Well, because it is the power of God. It is the dynamite. That's what that word is. We get our word dynamite from that Greek word. It is the dunamis of God to salvation. Now, oftentimes when we think of dynamite, we think of just something that blows up, makes a big bang, and leaves a big hole. But you know what? Dynamite, I think, is more often used for good than it is for bad. You think, I've used this illustration before, I think, Mount Rushmore. About 90% of Mount Rushmore was carved with dynamite. That guy, Borglund, he knew what he was doing when he put those charges in there, and then he finished it off, of course, by hand. But dynamite is very uh, constructive. It doesn't have to be destructive. And so, in this case, Paul says it is the power of God to salvation, to bring you back to life. You who were dead and your trespasses and sins, the dynamite of God brings to you salvation, brings to you life. And then he carries on in verse 16, For everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek, for in it, for in what? For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from, and here's the quote from Habakkuk, from faith to faith, as it is written, the just man shall live by his faith. Now, again, we've talked about faith a lot here at Calvary Baptist Church. What is faith? Faith is that which regenerates. 
Faith is that which is a gift from God. It comes from God. It's given to you. It's not of your own. You don't work it up in yourself. You don't make it yourself. It comes from God. It's a gift. It brings to you new life. The just man shall live by his faith. Shall live by what? Shall live by what God said he would do in the pages of Scripture. That's how the just man lives. Jude says that we were entrusted, it was, the, the, the faith was once for all delivered to the saints. We got the faith in the pages of Scripture, the body of truth that was handed down from God, preserved by the Holy Spirit, given by the Holy Spirit, protected for you and I, so that we can live our lives based on the book and never doubt it. You and I do not have to doubt what the Word of God says because it is, it is based in the very character and nature of our great God. So we see that Paul is absolutely convinced of the power of the gospel that he is preaching. Okay, If you ever have the opportunity, and I know that you do, but if you take advantage of the opportunity to communicate the gospel, you never have to doubt the power of the gospel. You can let God do what only God can do through the gospel presentation. You and I know that it's not up to us to do the saving, right? We do the preaching, and I don't just mean standing up here on the platform and opening God's word on a Sunday morning. We do the preaching, we do the communicating of the word of God and let the Holy Spirit, let God do the work and bring about the results that only he can bring about. But as Paul gets to Ephesus, he meets this group of people, and we see here there's an absence of this glorious power. It's not there. Acts 19 starts off on a rather interesting note. Paul is traveling around Asia, and he comes across a group of disciples, and he doesn't say that these people aren't born again, aren't saved. In fact, he calls them disciples, so they must have some kind of relationship with God, all right? So he has this, he finds these men, and and there's something that's missing. There's some things that they have in common, but there's something that is missing. And what is it that is missing? Well, it's revealed in the question that he asks. He says, when you guys believed, when you, when you trusted in this word of God, uh, did you receive the Holy Spirit? And their answer, I think, surprised him. They're like, no, we don't know what you're talking about. We don't even know that there is a Holy Spirit. Wow. So what does Paul do? Well, he, he, he lets us understand through the text that their knowledge of the gospel was incomplete. They were acting on the revelation that they had been given at the time. And that's what God holds us responsible for. He holds us responsible for the revelation that we have received. If we haven't received complete revelation, it's, it's, he's going to bring along somebody or something else that will give us further revelation. You can read about it in Romans chapter 10. How beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of good news. The good news that brings people back to a right relationship with God. Okay, And, and God, if you, are, if you hear part of the gospel message, you hear something that, um, that the Holy Spirit begins to work in your heart and convict you, he's not going to leave you hanging and not give you the rest of it. He's going to bring somebody else along who will fill in those gaps, who will complete that revelation. Because Romans 10, Romans 10 says, so then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So God is going to bring along people. That's how missionaries and other people go to places that they never dreamed of going in their life. 
Why in the world would you go to a place like that? We were asked many times, why would you go, why would you leave America and come to South Africa? Most South Africans that you meet, they have a goal of someday coming to America. And when they come to America, it was funny. We'd ask them, well, where are you going to go when you come to America, when you go to America? Oh, we're going to go to Disney World. We're going to go to Disneyland. We're going to go to Mount Rushmore. We're going to go to the Grand Canyon. We're going to go to the Statue of Liberty. Uh, okay. And how long are you going to be there? Oh, two weeks. Yep. It ain't going to happen. You can't see all those places in two weeks. Not and enjoy them. But you see... Why would you leave America? Because in their, in their minds, and it still is, the land of opportunity, it's a blessed land. It's a, it's a land that f- it doesn't flow with milk and honey, but in a lot of people's minds it does. It's the place where you can make a lot of money. The American dream is available to anyone that goes there. Why do you think we have people busting down our borders? Well, we don't actually have borders to bust down, but why do you think people are still trying to get in? Because it's a blessed place. We're going to go to America. Why would you leave America and come to Africa? Well, because God called us there. God burdened our hearts to go there, and we, we, we would have been wrong. We would have been out of fellowship with God had we not gone there. So we go. And other people go to other places. We have missionaries that are in uh, China. Why would you go to China? I mean, of all places, why would you go there? Because God called you. Why would you go to other places in South America and all over? Because that's where God called you. God placed a burden on your heart. It may, be, it may not even be a known people group. Yet God says, go, and you go. And you might not even know exactly where you're going. But then God uses you in amazing ways to communicate the truth of his son's death on the cross to bring lost men back to himself. Wow, that's a blessing. You see, these disciples, they didn't have all of that knowledge. Their knowledge was incomplete. They knew of John the Baptist and the message that he preached. And what did they do? They responded to that message. So what did God do? He brought along somebody who would give them more revelation, further information that they needed to respond so they could be rightly related to the Savior, Jesus Christ. When they heard the message of Christ and how he uh, he died on the cross, he paid the penalty for their, their sins, that he was indeed the promised one, the Messiah that they'd been waiting for and longing for, they readily received it. They accepted it. Yes, we want to trust in this Jesus. They believed, the text says they believed and repented and put their faith and trust in the finished work, not the promised work, but the finished work of Christ on the cross. And they were born again. They knew Jesus the way that God requires us to know him to be rightly related to the Father. We see, after we see the absence, we see the arrival of the power of the gospel. Can I tell you how the the power of the gospel arrives? And I'm going to tell you, you I don't take this the wrong way, but it arrives the same way today. It arrives through the work of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit brings to us the power of the gospel message. First of all, we see that they were baptized. There you go again, Pastor. Yep, there I go again, talking about baptism. Why? 
Because the Bible talks about it again and again and again and again. And the Bible says, if you are a child of God, you need to be baptized. That's a command. Just like communion is a command, being baptized is a command. If you haven't been baptized, you need to be baptized. If you were baptized and you weren't saved, you need to be baptized. Because you weren't a believer, and that's why we call it believer's baptism. If you were sprinkled as a baby, it doesn't count. It just doesn't, because it's not what the Bible says. All right? So here we go. They were baptized. They participated. And you know what? These guys were actually immersed. How do you know that, Pastor? Well, because they were baptized by John's baptism. You know what John's baptism was? Immersion, but it was a baptism of repentance. It was not a baptism of, I trusted Jesus as my Savior, and I want to follow him, and I want to be obedient to him. It, so they got immersed again. They got rebaptized. Only this time, they were baptized understanding what it was they were being baptized into. As we've said many times, baptism is an outward reflection of an inward change. If you tell people that you're born again, and, and you need to then show that by your baptism, because if you're not if you've not been baptized, you really aren't being obedient to God yet. Because God says you should be baptized. It's not a ritual. It's simply a step of obedience to honor the Lord and to show everyone around that, yes, I want to be obedient. I want to follow the Lord and what he has commanded us to do. It shows that one is, one is giving up their desires, their whatever that might be holding them back. He said, I'm giving those up to be obedient to God. I want to identify with Christ. I want to strive to be like him. And I don't care what anybody else might say or think about me. I'm simply being obedient to God's call in my life by being baptized. These guys were baptized. And then the scripture says, Paul laid hands on them. When Paul laid hands on these new converts, they began to speak in tongues and to prophesy. And so people are saying, well, pastor, do we do that today? No, we don't. And you might say, well, why not? It's in the Bible. Well, it is in the Bible. Remember what we said when we started the book of Acts, though, as we started this study? The book of Acts is a book of what? A book of transition, okay? We're starting out with no church in Acts chapter 1. We're starting out with Jesus saying, well, he said it in Matthew, I'll build my church. And then again, he reminded them in Acts chapter 1 that you'll be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the other.
All right. When, when I speak, um, I don't prophesy. I simply proclaim the word of God. I simply give it out. I deliver it. When you speak, when you, when you preach to somebody about salvation, you're not prophesying. You are speaking forth. You are proclaiming the words that are already recorded in the pages of Scripture for somebody to come to know Jesus as their personal Savior. But that, you say, does that mean the Holy Spirit's not working? Absolutely not. It means the Holy Spirit is doing His work. He is His work. You know what the work of the Holy Spirit is? The work of the Holy Spirit is to bring conviction to a heart that needs to hear the truth. It's to bring a person to a place where their mind is willing to receive the word of God. So as you and I are obedient and hand out the scriptures, the Holy Spirit is doing a work that we can't understand except that we know it's happened in our lives. We can't, we can't, you know, we can't take the place of the Holy Spirit in that regard. We simply let the Holy Spirit do what the Holy Spirit can do. And only the Holy Spirit can do that. No one else. No, can I tell you this? It's not even Jesus' job. It's the Holy Spirit's job. The Holy Spirit has certain responsibilities. As you study the scriptures, you learn the scripture is clear as to what the ministries of the Holy Spirit are for the child of God and for the one who is not a child of God yet but might become one. And as the Holy Spirit convicts and convinces an individual of their need of salvation, that person will not reject the gospel at that time. We call it, and I'm going to give you one of these terms, you might not like it, we call it irresistible grace. When the Holy Spirit is working in a person's life and God has determined that that's the point in time that that person is going to get saved, they will get saved on that day at that point in time. You know why? Because God is sovereign. And that's what the Holy Spirit does. As we continue on seeing some of these things, God wanted these people to uh, hear the gospel. They wanted, they wanted, God wanted them to hear the complete revelation so they could trust him. These miraculous sign gifts accompanied their salvation and obedience to the commands of God. And you know why? Because God was using that in the lives of others. So they would say, hey, there's something uh, miraculous about this. God is in this. Okay? I really like what the Nelson Study Bible says uh, when, he, when he explains this, this uh, passage here. It says, by laying on his hands here, Paul was demonstrating his apostolic authority. And by the way, since we don't have any more apostles today, uh, there's nobody demonstrating apostolic authority. He also is affirming the unity of the new church in Ephesus with the church in Jerusalem, whose members were also empowered by the Holy Spirit to speak in foreign languages this speaking in tongues was a sign to others that they were part of the body of Christ. That's what's happening here in Acts chapter 19. So as we move from the idea of the arrival of the power of the gospel, we see that others are made aware of this power. The power is seen as faithful, effective ministry for the cause of Christ continues. Paul continued to speak boldly in the synagogues. He went there Saturday after Saturday after Saturday. And what was he doing? He was reasoning. He was persuading people using the gospel message, using the message of Jesus Christ. The topic is centered around the kingdom of God. You guys, you want to know about the kingdom of God? You want to know about the Messiah? You want to know about Jesus? Listen to this. This is the truth. And he used the Old Testament scriptures to reason with them. And then there arose uh, a people whose hearts were hardened. 
And they opposed Paul and the new believers. And they spoke evil of the way. They spoke evil of the followers of Jesus. That's not something new that happens. It's been happening since the church began. Evil was spoken of the followers of Christ. So what did Paul do? He took his disciples, not his, he took the disciples and they went, they left the synagogue and they went to this place called the school of Tyrannus. And what did he continue doing? Reasoning the scriptures with those who needed to hear it. He continued to give them the gospel message. He continued to pour it out so people would know what was expected of him. And he didn't just do it for a day or two or a couple of weeks. It says in the text that he continued there for two years. And do you hear the, see the results there? Until all of Asia had heard the word of the Lord Jesus. That's a great lesson for us today. These disciples were learning in a structured setting, but they were not just learning for the sake of learning. They were taking what they learned and they were communicating it to others. So that others would hear it as well. What a statement that is, that all of Asia heard the word. Wow. Why? Because there were faithful people listening and being trained and being taught. And I'm going to put a plug in here for something. You know what it is? It's our NSTM. It's our Northeast School of Theology and Ministry. You might say, well, I'm not going to be a pastor, pastor, so you don't have to plug that for me. These guys weren't pastors either. But they were, they, were, they were sitting at the feet of the Apostle Paul, who was the next in line to Gamaliel. He was an amazing, excellent teacher. He was reasoning with them the scriptures, explaining to them the scriptures, so they would be better equipped students to take the good news to others. Can you imagine if we had 100 or 200 students in the NSTM around New York State, and they were like these men here? They would be taking the gospel, they would be reasoning with others, and the gospel would be going forth, not by pastors, but by people in the church who were on fire for the cause of Christ and wanted their neighbors, their family members, their co-workers to know about Jesus. That's all we can do is let them know about Jesus. We can't save them, but we can communicate truth to them, and then the Holy Spirit does what the Holy Spirit does. It continued for two years Sharing the gospel, learning about the scriptures, and communicating it to others. Well, as we move on in the text, we see the glorious power displayed in verses 11 through 20. Notice how the paragraph opens. It says, now God worked unusual miracles by the hands of Paul. This would indicate that this was not the norm, nor would it be the norm in the future. So some might wonder why this would happen at this time. Well, first let's look at the unusual miracles and we'll tackle the question why as we work through the text. First of all, we see the fabulous works uh, right there in verse 11. It says, Now God worked unusual miracles by the hands of Paul so that even the handkerchiefs or aprons were brought from his body to the sick and the diseases left them and the evil spirits went out from them. Uh, Then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists took upon themselves to call in the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits saying, we exorcise you by the Jesus whom Paul preaches. Notice that statement there. We exorcise you by the Jesus who Paul preaches. You know what that's saying to us? They did not have a personal relationship with Jesus. 
It's interesting to see what happens to these guys. But let's talk about these fabulous works first. These miracles were indeed the works of God. Handkerchiefs and aprons were taken from Paul's body to the sick, and they were healed, and and they were used to... um, Cast out demons. Does that happen today? Well, some people might want you to think it does, but it probably doesn't happen. Doesn't mean it can't happen. I don't even use handkerchiefs, so you're out of luck with me. Um, but you know what? The healing ministry of, of God is no different. God can heal who he wants, when he wants, however he wants. He can heal using doctors. He doesn't need doctors. He can decree that somebody would be healed from cancer. We've heard, in fact, I saw Brad Nelson yesterday at Tractor Supply. And you know what he told me? He said, the doctors are simply amazed that the tumor is not growing. They can't believe it. He says, it's the power of prayer. Absolutely it is. God is at work in that man's life. Does that mean that man's going to be absolutely 100% healed from cancer? That's up to God. But the prayers of God's people are working on behalf of that man and God is giving him grace at this point in his life to accomplish whatever God has called him to accomplish. And he'll give God all the credit and all the glory all day long. I mean, we did it right there in Tractor Supply yesterday. People standing in line behind him and and he had no bones, no, no qualms about talking about Jesus and the prayers of God's people. You see, God can still do amazing things. And so as we, as we see these amazing things that were happening, um, we understand that it says right there in the text, it was unusual, wasn't normal. Secondly, some have suggested that God allowed these unusual miracles because Ephesus was a hotbed for magicians and itinerant priests, even wizards, would come from all over the place to camp out and do their things in Ephesus. They claimed to have great powers and abilities to control even darkness. The powers of darkness were at work there. It's possible that God allowed these unusual things to happen to show the great power surpassed the power of these wicked people. There was a temple And we'll see that in a little bit here. And these guys would come to this temple and claim to be ministers of this goddess. Because, hey, look what we're doing. And look how powerful our goddess is, or our God is. And we'll see that these guys are actually fraudulent miracle workers. They're frauds. They're fakes. I like this portion of scripture. We see here that there were some who thought the name of Jesus was something to be taken lightly. They thought it was like a magic potion or abracadabra, if you will. It was some of these so-called miracle workers that thought they could just use the name of Jesus as some magic wand to accomplish their whims. But listen to what happened to these fraudsters. It says in the text, Then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists took it upon themselves to call in the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, We exorcise you by the Jesus whom Paul preaches. And there were seven sons of Sceva, a Jewish chief priest, who did so. And the evil spirit, I I love this, the evil spirit answered and said, Jesus, I know. Paul, I know. But who are you? You got no business talking about the name of Jesus because you don't know him. And let me tell you this, the demons knew the power of Jesus. In fact, James says that when the, dev, when the, when the demons hear the name of Jesus, they tremble. They're shaking in their boots. 
These guys who didn't know Jesus, didn't have a relationship with Jesus, they, they told the demons, you have to leave in the name of Jesus whom Paul preaches. And they said, we don't know who you are. We don't have to do anything you tell us. Then the man says, then the man in whom the evil spirit was leaped on them, overpowered them, and prevailed against them so that they fled out of that house naked and wounded. Hmm. There ain't nothing to mess with. Why naked? Why, why, does that, why does God make that happen? Naked was the absolute sign of complete humility in those days. They were humbled by the all-powerful God of the universe. And everybody knew it. God showed his power. Not only were they naked, but they were wounded. These guys who were supposed to be healers couldn't heal themselves. Couldn't do anything to make themselves better. They went out, if you will, with their tails between their legs. To be honest with you, I think that that would have been something to witness. To see that happen. And you know what? Those people who saw that happen, you know what they did? They took that and they shared it with everybody else. When you see amazing things happen, you tell them. And you give credit to who credit is due. Man, God did an amazing thing. We just saw it. You should see it. You should see what our God does. If God's doing amazing things in your life, tell others about it. Let them know. Let them hear. Let them see. So we see these um, fabulous works. We see the fraudulent workers. And then we see the fantastic results were evident. Verses 17 through 20 show us just how great this display of glorious power was. Fear fell on all of them. You know what the fear was about? Not misrepresenting Jesus, not misrepresenting the gospel, but simply living out the truth. It says the name of the Lord was magnified. Jesus' name was glorified. People said, hey, this is the name of Jesus. This is what Jesus is doing. God gets the glory. God gets the credit. And then the last thing it says, many who practiced magic brought their books and burned them. About 50,000 pieces of silver. Okay, this is a significant amount of money that these people gave up. Their tools that they used to, to do uh, the dark magic, they burned them. They got rid of them. Estimates that it would probably be wages for people for a full year. That's how amazing this, this work was. Fantastic results. These lives were changed. And change for eternity. And then as we close out the chapter, we get to actually just through verses 21 through 34, we see the glorious power disputed. You know, when, when the power of the gospel goes forth, there are people who will hear it and be under conviction and not want anything to do with it. They'll deny it even happened. As the word spread, more and more people believed and repented and came under the influence and the teaching of the Apostle Paul and the Christians there in Ephesus and more importantly under the work of the Holy Spirit. And it had a negative impact on those who made idols. Can you imagine? They were losing their job. Right before them, their livelihood was going down the drain. They were, they were not making money anymore. Why? Because people were not buying idols a man named Demetrius was the most vocal opposition. He called a meeting of the local idol makers union. He got them all together and he said, if this Paul is allowed to continue his preaching, the profession would be a great danger to us. 
Those who are professing to know Christ as their Savior, coming to know Jesus, they're going to put us out of business. And so there's a challenge that is issued forth. And the reason for the challenge is because Paul is being used to turn many people away from what we are telling people to worship, the temple of Artemis. If they don't go to the temple of Artemis and they don't worship the gods that we are making with our hands, we won't have any livelihood. We need to stop this guy. Our trade is in danger. And worse than that, the, Paul is telling people that to worship the God of, uh, of the Ephesians is a bad thing. So not only are we losing money, but we're losing our reputation as well. And the great temple of the goddess Diana is going to fall into ruins if people around Asia stop worshiping her. There was a lot at stake for these idol makers. They were going to lose it all. That was the reason they challenged the gospel and challenged Paul for his teaching and preaching. And then we see the result of the challenge. You know, it's not hard to stir up a crowd. So these guys, Demetrius is in the lead. He starts to make these false accusations. And some of them were actually true, but they were good. And, and, and things that they didn't want to see happen in their town. The people began to be filled with wrath. And they cried out, great is Diana of the Ephesians. Oh, so we got now people who are crying out the truth. And then we got people who are crying out falsehoods. Great is the temple of Diana. Great is the goddess Diana of the Ephesians. So you know what happens then? The text says the city is filled with confusion. Paul's companions were seized. Paul wanted to go and speak to the crowd to help get them released. And the, and the people that were there with Paul said, no, 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 no. You go into the crowd, they're going to kill you. We're not letting you go. You just be quiet, you sit back, you do nothing. They were concerned that Paul would have been taken prisoner and executed. To sum it up, the city was in confusion. A riot had erupted. Many that were caught up in, in this were not even aware of what was going on. They simply were participating in the ruckus that was going on. The city was on edge. But the one thing that was clear was the crowd was protecting and supporting Diana, an Ephesian idol. Wow. They weren't standing for the truth, were they? They were standing for what was false. And then we see the glorious power defended as the, as the chapter comes to a close. And it's interesting that the person who defended was not necessarily even a prominent believer. But he had witnessed the lives of the prominent believers and how they lived in a way that was honoring God. And so we see that there's an appeal for calm. The city clerk, if you will, addresses the mass of people and explains that they are on the verge of some serious trouble. If a full-scale riot were to break out and Rome had to send troops in to bring things under control, Ephesus would likely lose its right to govern itself along with many other freedoms. We talked about this last week, how Ephesus was this uh, special state. Not very many cities had the, the status of Ephesus. And if there's a riot broke out in Ephesus, they might lose a lot of those freedoms and the status that they had. He told them that Paul and his companions had not committed any religious crimes, so it's advisable to let them be. They, these men have been honorable among us. They've not done anything that is against the law. Just stop. God was using this clerk to calm things down. 
We see an admonition to the idol-making union, if you will. If you have a claim, he says to Demetrius and his followers, if you have a claim against Paul and his companions, take it to the magistrates. That's what the courts are for. Take it to the law. They could take them before the proconsul, and the matter would be decided there. But you know what? We've seen Paul at these proconsuls before, haven't we? He's pretty convincing with the truth. You know why? Because the truth sets people free. The truth is this great message that people, when they hear the truth, they tend to respond to the truth. So they didn't want that. They didn't want to give Paul that platform. And then he advised them. The clerk advised the crowd that no further action should be taken. He dismissed them. You guys, go home. If you stick around here causing more trouble, we're not going to have anything good happening here. This was, again, the work of God in both protecting Paul and his fellow workers and for the furtherance of the gospel right there in Ephesus. He dismissed the crowd. Neither Paul nor his fellow workers had to do anything. But you know what? They had to remain faithful. They had to live for the Lord. They had to honor the Lord with their lifestyle. And then they trusted the outcome to our great God. You and I sometimes face trouble. We face difficulties. So what should we do? Live honorably before the Lord and leave the outcome to him. Let him do what he needs to do. In all of this, we see that the gospel is indeed gloriously powerful. As we have been thinking about the power of the gospel, let me again remind you, uh, and if you know it, you can say it with me, Romans 1.16 for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to the Greeks, to the Jews first and also to the Greeks. For in it is the power, the righteousness of God. It's revealed from faith to faith. And the righteous man will live by his faith. You see, Paul was absolutely convinced of the power of the gospel message that he was preaching and that he lived. He was so convinced that he knew that others would come to know Christ through this gospel as well. It really reminds me of the words of Jesus back in Matthew 18. I referred to them earlier. He said this, I, Jesus, will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Satan will pull out all the stops. He's going to do whatever he can to stop the church from being built. But we have a guarantee from the builder. Jesus, the gates of hell, will not prevail against the building project of Jesus Christ. The work of the gospel, my friends, cannot be stopped because it's carried out in the power and in the strength of the triune Godhead. And you and I, we have the great privilege of being part of that glorious work of communicating the gospel to others and letting God do what God can do in their lives. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we come before you again this morning, thanking you for yet another example from the Apostle Paul. Uh, Father, there are times when we think that we need to stand up for you and we need to take, take things into our own hands for you. We don't need to do that. We need to live for you faithfully, honorably, justly, like Micah told us to do, to live justly before you. Father, we want to live just that way so that others will have nothing evil to say about us. 
And when we live in a way that honors you, it allows you to take our lives and use it for your honor and your glory and for your good. So, Father, help us to be those kinds of individuals who are excited and, uh, and enthused about the gospel message and want to preach the gospel to those you give us opportunity to preach to. Father, we know that when we speak the good news, you do what you can do and what you alone can do, and that's transform a life for all of eternity. Father, thanks for the gospel, the glorious power of the gospel, the transformative power that made us who were once sinners into the very children of God, part of your family. To God be the glory. In Jesus' name, amen.